24-24 right now. She's obliterating the record. Alicia Barnall is about to four-peat. The only man in history to do it. Kara Goucher, she wanted to do this event. It was important to her. Here in Duluth, how sweet it is. Her arm raised in triumph. Welcome, everybody, to the Gearing Up for Grandma's podcast, brought to you by Essentia Health. Hello again, everybody. I'm your host, Peter Graves, and thank you so very much for being with us. Today, an interesting show. Uh, we have uh, a man uh, by the name of Chuck Engel. I know him fairly well. He's a self-proclaimed marathon junkie and also works for a website called MarathonGuide.com. So, Chuck, first of all, welcome to the podcast. Glad we could get together. Yeah, Peter, thanks so much for having me. Yeah, absolutely. First things first, uh, what in your life has made you a marathon junkie? And what do you love so much about that race and that distance? I kind of stumbled into the marathon. I, I really didn't know much about the marathoning world, but I stumbled into it uh, back in the year 2000. And I, I really didn't read many magazines, more educational books. It was my forte. And along the way, uh, roughly 2003, after having done a couple marathons, I, I just started bumping into more and more of these marathons. And I, I loved it because of the travel. Like I can go to this town and, and run. And while in Omaha, Nebraska, it was my 16th or 17th weekend in a row of running a marathon. And, and no one told me any different. No one said, you know, you can't jump off the edge of the earth. You can't. To a lot of people, that was seemingly crazy. Um, but I, I, I walked up to the race director and I said, Hey, I'm Chuck Engel. I'm, I'm here to win your race and set the course record. And at that point, a gentleman from the Omaha world reporter spun around and looked at me and he goes, Oh, this is good. So I, I just started telling him, Oh, this is, you know, this is I, my boss sent me here and he said, I could win it, set the course record. And the reporter looks at me and he goes, well, have you done a marathon before? And I said, yeah, I've done about 20 or so. And he goes, when was your last one? I said, I won, I, I, I won one last weekend, not knowing that winning one the week before was probably not conducive to trying to win or set a course record that weekend. Anyway, he looked at a couple of stats and said, wow, you're the veritable marathon junkie. And I said, oh, can I keep that? And he goes, it's all yours. And so I, I claimed marathon junkie from that point on. Again, no one had told me that uh, you can't do back to back to back to back marathons. You just, it's not supposed to happen. That, that's interesting. Um, right now, do you actually know the number, how many marathons you've completed? Yeah, I have a great friend in Texas out of Houston, John Walk, who uh, over the years, I just bumped into him and he started keeping stats for me. And he just sent me an email one day that said, hey, here's your stats. And he updates them every time I run three or four. Uh, he'll send them to me and tell me how many states I've run under three hours and what round I'm on. Uh, it's 478 as of last, last weekend. Uh, but we haven't added Ironman marathons into that uh, because to me, Ironman is kind of a separate thing. I've done eight of those and uh, just kind of a separate thing. We should mention uh, again that you, you're not just completing marathons. You're, you're performing well in them. And uh, you passed Doug Curtis, a former grandma's champion some time ago, and now own the record for most lifetime marathons finished under three hours. So you've not only run a marathon in all 50 states, 
you won a marathon also in all 50 states. That's pretty remarkable. Yeah, we, we got down the line of, you know, I, I was very fortunate starting in 2000 to win my very first marathon set a course record. And along the way, it wasn't so much trying to, to win one in every state, but I was winning quite a few of them. Um, I think in 2011 of the 58 I ran, I, I won 40 of those. And someone along the way said, hey, you know, you've just a few more states and you could actually be the first person in history to win a marathon in all 50 states. And so my sponsors were pretty excited and eager about it. And uh, we, we started kind of hunting and, you know, we, we found marathons that I had finished second in like Columbus or Little Rock. And so I had to go back to Ohio to win one or I had to go back to Arkansas to win one. Um, and it was difficult, not so much the racing, but you just never know who's going to show up. So you, you go to a marathon to mentally say, okay, I'm going to knock that state out today with a win. Uh, and maybe you don't run sub three. And in my mind, I really wanted to do all of them under three hours. Um, so yeah, it was, um, it became a goal. It, it didn't initially start out as a goal, but it became one when I think I hit state 40, 39, 40. And you've traveled around the globe for these races too. Um, you talked about just at the beginning, um, the cultural aspect and the community aspect uh, all through marathoning. I, I think that's even for announcers, that's a, a, a nice thing to travel around the country. And, and you and I met not only at Grandma's, but at the Mad Marathon in Waitsfield, Vermont, uh, a race you've done, uh, I think, several times uh, now for sure. Um, what is, I think people are going to want to know what is the driving force for you? What's uh, the mentality you approach these with? You said it's not always about winning. Yeah, it started off more from the travel. Just, um, I was very fortunate as a young person growing up. My dad, uh, we traveled quite a bit during the summer months when we were out of school and that wanderlust had always occupied my mind. So the marathon was a worthwhile situation. It would take, you know, two and a half to three hours to do that. And then after the fact, I usually have a Saturday night, a Sunday, maybe even a Monday to explore the, the, the area. Uh, one of the great travels was heading down to Guatemala and running the Lake Adeline Marathon. Um, that was just a, a culture shock for this middle, uh, middle income suburban white kid and to go to Lake Adeline and you know, to have four quarters in my pocket and, and buy six meals with a dollar and change. Uh, that was a real eye-opener for me. And I, so to this day, I said the travel still occupies um, a large portion of the reason why I do it, to experience um, certainly international, but you know, just in, in our country alone, just the difference in, in culture and how runners are looked at. And, and then for me to just immerse myself in that, that local culture as well. Yeah, I mean, you're not making money really in your marathon runs, right? So, so that is why you have this marathon guide and, and other things that at the end of the year, one would think you might be lucky to break even. I think break even is a good spot to be. Uh, I, I have been very fortunate in life to have, have had access to large sums of money. And I have found that that, that's, that tends to spoil people and cause more inconveniences than it does conveniences. And I'm speaking from the heart when I say that. Um, so yeah, to break even is, is a, is a wonderful spot to be. Uh, I don't consider myself monetarily rich, but uh, with my very tight circle of friends, of which you know I consider you and Peter, and certainly 
the Mad Marathon folks. Um, I, that's that's a that's a wealth that that extends. And certainly Doug Curtis and I, I do consider him a great friend. Uh, and even uh, Dick Beardsley affiliated with the Grandma's Marathon for so many years. Uh, those are two people that I've I've been very fortunate to be able to just reach out to, and, and seek advice and have them act as sounding boards. And that's that's a, a wealth that I don't think you, well you can't buy it with money. So one of the things I, I wanted to ask you, you must I presume let me say, are you doing a marathon this coming week by chance? Uh, I was scheduled to do one this past weekend, uh, and there were some just circumstances that I opted to stay home, uh, share some time with my wife, um, and just kind of take in what had occurred over the last six weeks. We had done uh, two Ironmans, three marathons, and a half marathon, and I could see that there was a level of stress, not physically by any means, not even mentally, but there's just a level of stress building from the logistics of traveling, and I felt like it was probably a good time to take a break before maybe that stress really got to a, a point of, you know, just being out of control. This next weekend, um, Thanksgiving weekend, I, I, I really, I have invited some very close friends to my house. Uh, we intend to sit down and drink a, a, a couple of great bottles of wine and, and celebrate all we're thankful for this year. So I, I don't plan on running one, but who knows if something pops up on Thanksgiving weekend and somebody says, look, you got to get here. I, I've been known to jump on a plane and go. So. Well, knowing Doug Curtis as well, uh, people like you are gifted with some remarkable physiology. I mean, that not everybody can do this, um, this many marathons. What about the issue of recovery? Am I, uh, uh, I'm going to assume that uh, you recover pretty quickly from these things. Is that right? I agree. Yeah, it, it's definitely something I have learned to do. I, I think it is an acquired skill. And I think education uh, over the years has played a big part in that. Certainly my, uh, one of my undergraduates at Mount Union College in exercise physiology, sports medicine, um, allowed me to test in, in my own personal laboratory. Recovery for me starts well before the race even takes place, especially when you're doing say six marathons in six days. Uh, your, your recovery starts well before that with proper hydration, proper nutrition. Most people um, early on in their running will go out and drink a bunch of beer, which is uh, just, I mean, it, it dehydrates you, bloats you. Uh, and, and you've already set yourself up, one, for probably not the greatest race, and two, a horrible recovery because you go into the race dehydrated, you're going to finish it more dehydrated than normal. So um, my rest and recovery prior to the race uh, is, is a significant reason for my ability to recover within the next 12 hours after a race. And in large part, part of the reason I'm able to at, at times do back-to-back, -back, you know, sub 240s or back-to-back -back sub 250s. Now that's it's been a couple of years for that, but um, I really haven't focused on doing six marathons in six days in quite some time, or even running back-to-back -back sub threes in quite some time. I, I, I think that the luster of that kind of more often, I think my wanderlust of just traveling has been a, a key focus of my career now. Yeah, and I'd be remiss uh, not to mention that you have a very loyal partner who's uh, who shares this experience with you. Yeah, I, I'm glad you bring up Summer. She's a uh, Dr. Mueller, as she's known professionally. Uh, she's I, I pale in comparison to her. She she is such. I mean, she works 60, 70, even 80 hours a week uh, in her career, 
and she's up at three o'clock, three thirty some days. Uh, there's there was even one time this past year as she was training for Ironman uh, alongside myself. She was up at two thirty and getting in a four or five hour ride, and then in her car off to work. And most people after a five hour ride are, are going to lay down and sleep all day. Yours truly. Um, so she has raised my level. Uh, one, she's raised my level of just Ironman. I I hadn't done or even men- really mentally thought about what it would take to do an Ironman prior to, you know, marrying summer. And I was sitting around just bragging about how I have the marathon course record at Lake Placid and said, if I was going to do an Ironman, which I could handle, I, you know, just had a few too many glasses of wine. And, and she quietly sat there and signed me up and registered me for Ironman Lake Placid as my first and put her phone down and said, there, you're registered. And then the email came across my phone and I realized I, I had, certainly needed to put my mouth where my money went. And um, it, it was, it was a huge learning curve. And I have someone to thank for that. So she really had me step up my game, uh, not just in nutrition for being out for 14 hours or longer, um, but in reinventing the overall training process for that length of an endurance event. And, and uh, having been around you uh, at the night before races, um, you mentioned a couple times here, you enjoy a good glass of wine. Well, so do I, but I'm not running these marathons. Uh, but really, you're a very temperate drinker, and it, 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 it doesn't interfere um, with your uh, running whatsoever. Oh, I, I, would, I would at that point probably say I, I believe it does affect my running. I, I don't know to what level of interference on my side of it. I look at it and I, I, I have, you said tempered, I'll have a few glasses of wine. If I don't, and maybe this is just justification, but if I don't, I don't sleep. And I much more prefer having ample wine in my system, which I know is contrary to what I just spoke about with beer. But if I don't have a good night's sleep, even the night before the race, I, I tend to not even finish the race. I, there's been days where I said, you know, I'm going to go into this race and I'm going to do everything right. And I get done and I, I DNF the race. And I, I say, you know, I, it doesn't make sense. Um, why I, I, I just, I've justified the glass of wine, but it really does allow me to sleep better. Um, I, I've tried it multiple times. I've tried it multiple times doing perfect stuff. And it just, yeah, I'd rather have a glass of wine and sleep well than, um, so yeah, it's, uh, it's just one of those things I've tested in my lab and it works better for me to have a glass of wine and sleep well. Yeah, well, that's good. That's interesting. I, I How old are you, Chuck? I'm 51. 51. Wow. Makes it all the more remarkable. Let's shift gears to Grandma's Marathon. This is their podcast. 2021 was the first time you'd been to Duluth for Grandma's. Uh, and we know what you think of our race. Uh, but with someone as experienced and as traveled as you, I'm curious, uh, what were your thoughts about Grandma's Marathon? And uh, and expand upon that to uh, maybe tell me what your entire experience uh, here in Duluth was like. Well, yeah, I, I I just I had gotten to know Shane Bauer over the years, and certainly with Dick Beardsley up there, I, I it's one of the races that I regret not going to. And finally, in 2021, everything seemed to just click, and it was just easy to get there, and. Um, I, I, the race was amazing. I actually went there because I do need Minnesota still uh, to complete my third round of all 50 states under three hours. 
I'm down to, I think, six states. And Minnesota looms large. And of all the races, grandma's is just after having raced the first half. Um, and that's to your question. It, I raced the first half and thought I had sub three locked up. Um, and and at, at 13, my stomach just did not agree with me. And I said, all right, you know, let's, let's live to run another day. And at that point, the community kind of wrapped their arms around me and just they could see it in my, my form or function that I just wasn't having a good day. And people came from that, their, their houses and their curves and came up and walked me, put their arms around me. And, hey, can we help you with anything? Do you need anything? And I, within a few minutes, one guy walks up and says, you look like you need a beer. And I, I don't drink beer, but, you know, I, again, I felt like he was a brother and he came up and I, I, I sipped the beer and they all cheered. And I, I was immediately embraced by the entire community for the next 13 miles, so much so that we, we developed a, a gathering of other runners who weren't having such great days. And uh, it was a remarkable final 13 miles, not the pace that I wanted, but certainly a, a wonderful welcoming experience. I, I, to, to, to not finish under three hours, but to have that experience was, um, it was really welcoming and warming and it, it felt like family. That's cool. And we hear that a lot. Um, what, if I may be so bold, what was your time this year, Chuck? I, I don't even, I think it was over four hours. I, I, again, I had such a great time. Yeah. I had such a great time in the last 13 miles. Uh, I, I met people from all over the country and we shared moments of the, the marathons they had done in that state. And I, I had run some of them and, and it, it was, it was more of a, I felt like we were all on stage together, sharing our stories and discussing just life in general through running. It was, it was quite the experience. I don't think I want to run that slow again, uh, but that was a great experience. I think I, I definitely like to come back to Minnesota. And uh, I think grandma's having run the first half and, and mostly walked the second half. It, it's a, it's a wicked fast course. Yes, it is. Yeah. Well, um, you know, it, we sell the race often by its tagline, which is world-class event, small town charm. We think grandma's as a really big race in a small close knit community. So what were your thoughts about having a race this size? It's the 12th largest marathon in the U S and in a city region, the size of Duluth here in Northern Minnesota, because it's a reasonably good sized town. Yeah. I, I was impressed uh, from the moment we, we got into town. I, I felt like I experienced, uh, restaurants from around the world and and uh then the the lake walk and I, I felt like as small as they say the town is there was so many magnanimous things to do um from the bridge to the mansions uh and certainly the restaurants i mean i from Belosios to uh Valbene, i i was overwhelmed with the number of choices of restaurants the the attractions to go see oh the aquarium it's a multi-story beautiful place features a lot of the, the, the species from Lake Superior, certainly. And um, I, I'd, I'd like to go back just because there's so many other things that I'd like to do. That's the skyline, um, things just slightly outside of, the, of town that, you know, I, we parked and there were so many things to do within walking distance <laughs> that we didn't get to even all those. So um, it really is an amazing amount of things to do and see right there within walking distance. So uh, the race you ran here at Grandma's was immediately after the pandemic. And uh, ours was uh, one of the first big races, in fact, to return. It was still at half capacity, but uh, I thought there was a lot of energy that year, simply because we hadn't been able to do this for so long. 
even with the race smaller than usual, you have said it was an incredible experience. Do you think we'll see you back again at Grandma's? Yeah, the, the way it was handled after the pandemic, I think it was handled so professionally and so well. Other races took note, and it certainly emboldened other races to, to move forward with their plans later that fall. Uh, I absolutely had planned on coming back this past year, uh, but my move to Charlotte and my being unfamiliar with how American Airlines works, uh, they just delayed my flight, delayed my flight, and then canceled my flight. So I'll, I'll absolutely make the attempt to come back in 2023. Um, it, I look forward to it. I look forward to it. I just want to see how much more grandiose it can be because I thought it was amazing uh, even at half capacity. I took the train out of the start, which was, I mean, there's, again, there's railroad museums there, which I enjoyed. Uh, my dad's a big time train enthusiast, and he's taught me quite a bit. Um, and so I want to come back and uh, one, get the sub three in Minnesota because I'm desperate for it now. I don't know how many, I'm not, I'm not, I don't feel old, but I don't know how many more years I can keep running sub three. Um, so I, I would like to knock out Minnesota. And I think a place to do that is definitely grandma's. All right. We have a lot of listeners and um, they always, other than meeting the personality uh, that you are, um, uh, We'd like to leave them uh, with some maybe marathon tips because you're certainly the right guy to ask. Uh, not everyone is going to run as uh, much as you do. So what would you say to someone who is maybe hoping to run just one marathon maybe in their life to knock that off the bucket list and who's not really a runner but is preparing for their first? What kind of advice might you tender? I would like to tell them to become a runner. Uh, if, if the goal is to just finish a marathon, um, I, I think a large part of that for me is, is if you just want to finish, you've missed out on everything that leads up to the race. And it's such an emotional thing to have spent the proper amount of time planning and training, preparing to not just finish it, but to finish it well. Uh, I think that's where the emotion comes into play for me, knowing that you've uh, my first one, I put in years uh, building up to it and, and lengthy hours of running and stretching. And, and to have it culminate at that finish line uh, with, you know, with friends gathered around, it, it, it's such an emotional high. And again, if, if it's just to finish it, train for it. And, and you'll be amazed at the things you can accomplish, even if you just finish one marathon. But my, my, my supposition is this. If you train for it properly, when you finish it, you won't just be one and done. You'll start to seek that feeling out more and more. And that's, that's one of the underlying principles that's made me the marathon junkie is that I, I love that energy of the finish line. I, I love it so much. I, I do often seek it out week in and week out. Yeah, that, that's interesting. Uh, I don't know how you probably do, but how well do you remember your first uh, marathon, uh, what it was like to cross the finish line? And and what marathon was your very first? My very first marathon was Tupelo Marathon in Tupelo, Mississippi. Now, I was, I was a professor and a coach down there, and so I was used to the heat and humidity. But what I didn't realize about marathons is you have to register the day before. Like you have to register well in advance. And I, I stumbled into this marathon and went right up the race track. Someone pointed him out to me, and I went up to his name, uh, Mike Lale. He's he since left us, but... Um, Mike Lale stood there and I handed him as much cash as I had. And I said, I've got to run your race. Uh, and so he said, well, I'll take your money. Finally, I convinced him to take my money. 
And he, he said, just go. He handed me a bib and off I went. And I ended up winning the race and setting the course record, which still stands. And I collapsed in his arms at the finish line. And his exact words were, you crazy son of a bitch. You did it. You did it. He didn't even think I was going to finish. He told me before the race, he said, I'll, just, I'll take your money. You won't even finish. I did it, finished it. And that, that led to, um, geez, a, a 20 a 20 plus year history before Mike passed away, a 20 plus history of he and I getting together. I, I, he gave me a haircut one night because I was jokingly saying some of my, my hair being too long to run his hot race. And he said, come on, shut up, let's go. So we went over to the, he had a barber there in town that shaved my head the night before the race. So um, yeah, Tupelo is my first and it, it, it holds, David Whiteside is down there now and uh, it, it holds some near and dear memories to me. Uh, and I, I try to get back to it as often as I can. I think I've been there nine times now and uh, it, it should be an annual pilgrimage for me. I, I've got a tattoo of Tupelo. Uh, so it's, yeah, it's, it's a great, it's a very fond memory for me. That's cool. You've done races week after week, marathons, half marathons, Ironmans. Sometimes you've even done two races in the same weekend. Clearly not everyone can put their body through that, but let's revisit a little bit the motivation for you as I'm sure uh, some of these races are, are very painful at, at, at the end, but uh, uh, motivation looks like you're always looking forward, Chuck. Yeah. I'm always looking forward to, the, to the, the next challenge. And part of that was with when my wife signed me up for Lake Placid Ironman. I, I wanted to know, could I do it? Was it something that I mean, I surely finished, you know, three hour marathons. I did Pikes Peak in like four hours and 53 minutes or something, but I had never taken my body into the, the depth of 12 hours, 13 hours. And then I saw the cutoff time for an Ironman was 16 hours and 59 minutes. And I thought, I, I don't want to be out there that long, but I guess people are out there that long. So part of it for me with the motivation was to see folks, maybe even myself, finish in that time frame, uh, just to test. One, was it going to be physical, which it proved to be more physical than mental for me. Um, and then to, to learn from it. And I was hooked because I didn't train for it, but I had, I thought I had trained for it. Uh, so I was hooked on the, on the preparation of that. That was the motivation toward doing more of those. And through that training, I discovered that training for the Ironman, I discovered that training for marathons was somehow now magically simpler, um, putting in longer miles. Uh, you know, doing a 140 mile week at the age of 51 wasn't very difficult any longer. Just, I was so used to going out and running an hour and a half, but then suddenly after training for a few Ironman, um, I, I could go out and run three hours every day, nonstop and just not, not think twice about it. Uh, and I want to get back to that once the holidays are over. And I, this is probably the first year I'm going to use the holidays as a, as a resting time. But, um, you know, I, I've been talking to some of my friends who I've lured into Ironman and I, I, I want to get back to those 100, 140 mile weeks and, and take another shot at uh, some, some successive sub three hour marathons along the way. So that's the, the, the motivating goal down the road. Um, and I'll tell you this, Peter, that the, the pain of finishing back to back races, it, it, there's, there's pain after the first one, but that pain really comes into play the first three to four miles of the second day or the third day. But once you get going, it's like your body shuts everything else off. It just says, oh, brain, shut up. And you suddenly realize that, oh, I know what we're doing now. 
And there's a relaxation period that comes over until about mile 22 when your brain kind of wakes up and goes, we're doing this again. So then you finish the last four or five miles the same way of the first day. But it's, again, it's always the first two to three miles of the consecutive days that tends to wear on me. Um, but once you've experienced it for the first time, you, you, you know it like anything in life. Once you've experienced that pain, that pleasure, you know it and, and you know how to get through it that much better. I spent a lot of time over the years because I've announced uh, triathlons as well and the Xterra uh, event, uh, the finals out in Hawaii, uh, and, and gotten to know legends like Mark Allen, Scott Tinley, uh, Mike Pig, and, and many, many others. Uh, really, though, the Iron Man, it, it's totally different preparation. Uh, you must go into it with a very different mindset. Yeah. Ironman is, is all day. It, it's all day. And, and I convinced myself, I just completed um, Ironman Kona, the world championships here a couple of weeks back. And after that race, I, I didn't know that I wanted to do another one because it was an entire day of my life, not to mention the days of training that go into it. And I, I honestly know I didn't, I haven't yet prepared for that great Ironman race. I mean, despite having gone 10, 17 at Tulsa, I still know there's more in me to really prepare for it. Uh, people can get on Strava and take a look at my preparation leading up to some of these things like St. George. I didn't train at all. I, as my wife says, no one, no one, but you could just wing an Ironman world championship. Um, and, and I, I, I think now Having taken a week off, I think I'd like to at some point put in a, a very serious training program. And now that I hear myself say that, I, I know sort of what that entails. And that, that's going to be multiple five-hour rides, plus swimming after, plus running after. Uh, and then to go spend, you know, one would hope a sub-10-hour Ironman is in the works. But if not, it's going to be 14, 15, 16 hours of physical punishment. Uh, and it's it's daunting to say the least. Um, marathons over in three hours and it's quick. 5Ks are over even quicker. And, and you really don't feel any residual pain from a 5K. Marathons in and of themselves, there's certainly a lot of residual pain, but nothing mentally and physically can break you down the way a, a bad day at an Ironman can, can break you down. I'm sure uh, that's very interesting. I'm curious, uh, you, you did have one or more uh, tests in a human performance laboratory. Um, do you want to share with us what you learned about your physiology there? Are you somebody with a lot of fast twitch fiber? Do you have a massive max VO2? Are you comfortable sharing some of those results with us? Yeah, I don't mind sharing some of the results. My VO2 max, you know, at, at, on, a, on a good day has been measured at 47 at a, at a high peak of physical training, like just before um, Ironman Hawaii, I, I was at 58. Um, but that's, you know, that's over a massive volume of training to get at that high. I'm very fortunate in that it doesn't diminish very quickly afterwards. I also have a max heart rate now at my age of 209, which everybody tells me at the age of 51, 209 is it's just, it's unheard of. Um, you know, I, I tend to keep my body fat extremely low and lean. I, I fluctuate uh, between six and four and a half 
Uh, I, I like when I'm at four and a half, I'm sitting at about 138, 139 pounds. And I just know at that weight, the race is to be run under three hours are, are relatively easily had. But when I'm up around 150, um, which I'm, I'm, I'm about 150, 151 right now, I'm, I'm, for me, I'm pretty plump. Uh, it's, it's difficult to, to race sub three, as I demonstrated at Marine Corps just this past weekend. Uh, at 259, was a, uh, it was a struggle. I went out really comfortable through probably 18, and then I said, well, I'm carrying around an extra 10 or 12 pounds. I'm going to have to work. And, and I did. I had to work to finish that race under three, and I was disappointed in myself um, just for letting my weight go over the course of one week. And I think certainly there's elite athletes, much more elite than I am. I, I really don't consider myself much of an elite, but elite athletes, all of them would probably comment that if they're four or five pounds heavier or say 5% of their body weight heavier, it, it's a struggle to have that, that A race. Um, and, and this is something you've said before, but couch to marathon may not be the best choice for a lot of beginning runners. So I'm going to suggest that for a lot of people, do a 5K, do a 10K, do a half marathon before you compete the marathon distance. Uh, you've done a great job not just in your racing, but in your training of doing all the right things for your body and not to be injured and then to have the energy required to complete all these races you're entering. Have you ever had any uh, stress-related injuries to your body where you had to take some time off? Uh, no, everything, any injury that I've suffered has been uh, of, of, of not my own causing or doing. Uh, I popped an Achilles tendon one year running in Mobile, the Mobile First Light Marathon, but I ended up, I stepped in a pothole uh, because I was trying to avoid a bicyclist in a car. Um, and I was watching the vehicles versus watching the road. So I popped an Achilles there, which again, I, I, I wouldn't put that blame on me. Uh, I've had a torn, uh, a torn shin muscle, uh, which Again, a misstep on a trail race caused that. Uh, but I, I also, when I did partially tear it, I, I kept going. I kept running and I ran a I attempted to run a marathon the next day uh, in Nashville, Tennessee. And uh, it completely severed. And I was out, I was out for a good while. Um, the Achilles took me out for five months. The, the torn shin muscle took me out for uh, probably the better part of, I don't know, two, three weeks before I just said to heck with it. And wrapped it up and tried to run on it. Um, but again, these are all, you know, it's not like the overtraining injuries where you get shin splints. I mean, maybe when I was 12 or 13, I, I got some shin splint issues. And again, that's when my educa education started. I, I, I wanted to read and understand why these ailments were happening uh, and how to correct them because running was such a freeing thing. And so educating myself on how to prevent those things in my body, in my lab, uh, became a primary focus at, at a very young age. So that's the first part of our podcast with Chuck Engel, and it will do it for this week. Uh, wonderful to talk to him. This Gearing Up for Grandma's podcast is brought to you by Essentia Health. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. Please subscribe, rate us, and tell your friends. Grandma's Marathon is proudly presented by Toyota, Members Cooperative Credit Union, and ASICS. This is Peter Graves. So long for now.